Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. On today's episode, it's The Last Dance. It's the last episode, episode 10 of The Last Dance, last dance Documentary. This episode today is brought to you by betonline.ag. With my guests, my co-host, my boys, my hoops, honchos. Let's do it first. He's a big fan of Katie Lattimore. It's Aaron Hagel. What's up, man? <laughs> Hi, Joe. You know me. Oh, you know me, baby. And coming back in, Mr. Mike Choi, the GOAT, the legend. He never pushed off anybody. It's Mike Choi. What's up, man? Hello, Jasmine Jordan. (laughs) 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 Fantastic. And uh, last but very not least, he joined us on episode nine. He's back for episode 10. It's a back-to-back situation. He's trying to build a dynasty. The Hollywood Hogan villain himself, BCK, Brian Colbert Kennedy. What's up, buddy? Hello, Jeffrey Jordan. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) And here we are, guys. It is episode 10. It's the last episode. We've been doing these for the last uh, six weeks. So thank you for listening to every single episode. And guys, you know, sometimes after, you know, you slip the ring on your finger and after you win the title, you might crack open an ice cold Miller Lite. And that's what we're doing today, guys. Let's just go around the room real quick. And what is the cocktail that we are enjoying for this podcast today? Well, for me, I'm drinking some whiskey. Uh, I got a little. Uh... <laughs> it's already it's already kicking in. It's perfect. Already, yeah. Perfect. Troy, you got some whiskey. Hags, what do you have? Pascal, uh, <laughs> you got a little sipper of little sipper of reposado and uh, drinking a Corona next to it. Very nice. And BCK, what are we uh, what are we working on up there? I'm uh, I'm enjoying just a nice all day IPA. Oh wow, all day all IPA. Day. And I'm having a ruby grapefruit white claw because I like getting in touch with my vulnerable side during this time in quarantine. <laughs> um, so let's just hop into episode 10, you guys. Some really cool moments, but I think this is going to be a little bit more of a bigger, wider, open conversation about MJ, the state of the Bulls, and everything that has happened since the end of this documentary. But let's start first with uh, just a really kind of cool way to start an episode the whole concept of uh, what it is to be nervous, what it is to be loose before big moments in your life. How do you, you know, how do you get yourself in the mode to seize opportunities that are right there in front of you? And for Mike, you know, when you think that there might be all this tension, all this talk of being mentally and physically exhausted, Michael Jordan getting on that bus at the beginning of that episode is as cool as a cucumber, super loose, listening to music that hasn't even come out yet, the true litmus test of how uh, famous you probably are. Um, he literally could have been like, I'm listening to this guy named Drake. He'll be awesome in 12 years. Like, that's how a famous Michael Jordan is. And then he gets to that shoot-around and is awesome. And it's like I was drinking beers and smoking cigars and playing the piano, and I, I, he just seemed like he was having this really great day. And I think it was, you know, partly, obviously, what you do in your own life is personal. But that was intentional, I think, for the rest of the team to kind of keep them loose. And that shoot-around is just some of the amazing stuff that's been going on in that documentary. Uh, and it's a side of Jordan I don't think we've ever really necessarily seen before. Um, how did you feel about watching that, Higgs? Yeah, I was actually um, – I was very surprised how loose he was. I just assumed that he would be like – in the zone, focused, maybe going over the game in his head, you know, defensive assignments, all that stuff. So I was, it was surprising and cool to see that. And actually reminded me of, um, I forgot what year it was. It might have been the year before the last championship. Michael was on Oprah. 
And, you know, crowd's going crazy and all this stuff. And she's like, okay, Michael, what do you think about this year? Do you think we're going to win it? And I remember just going, just shaking his head going, just follow me. We'll be okay. And I was just like, yeah. Like I went crazy because it was like, it, he said it, he meant it and he did it. And that's how I kind of felt watching him with these, you know, uh, like you're saying after, before the game, like the shoot around and just being like, it's all good. I got it. He had like the, the, the most confidence out of any athlete made, I don't know, basketball wise ever. And of course you need confidence when you're that type of player, but he had more confidence than those guys. Like he, like, I thought it was really cool him talking about being in the moment and not worrying about missing a shot. Well, I, how am I going to miss a shot? Cause I never took it. And I thought that was so cool. I've been BCK. Yeah, I don't remember. That, that part also really stuck out uh, to me in, in this episode. I can't remember who was uh, sort of narrating that, that moment when, when he got on. Uh, do you guys remember who that was? Um, about being tight. Uh, the the uh, tight, yeah. Um, when he got uh, on with remember. the mute, about being in the moment, about being present. Yeah, I've had two sips of White Claws. I'm not finding it in the moment right now. <laughs> cool off. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess not, not, not that important. I was just, uh, just curious. But that was, that was pretty huge. Whoever that was went so far as to say that his ability to be uh, in the present was, was more of a, a skill, was a more important, more relevant uh, uh, skill than, than his athleticism, uh, which is, I mean, you know, that's quite a statement. But didn't even I didn't even consider that yet and like how huge that is no matter what your job is or what your passion is if if you can stay in the right now all the time you are I mean that's a game changer no nobody can do that that is so so rare and when they pointed that out I was just like holy shit like that's true that's true light bulb uh hop yeah. in joy I, I just also have to add that like Michael Jordan works on so many different levels um as Aaron as Aaron knows, I, I consider myself an R&B aficionado. If you guys have ever listened to Kenny Lattimore, he is the smoothest of R&B singers. So to think that that's what Michael Jordan was jamming out to before the finals, I mean, that is crazy. Because that, that's, more, that's more like, you know, uh, this is what I'm going to put on before I go to sleep music than it is like, oh man, it's game one of the NBA finals. So shout out to oh. Kenny Lattimore and, and, and props to whatever his iTunes sales have probably gone up in the last 24 hours. You also know what it's like too. Michael Jordan's a human being of, you know, uh, like in seventh and eighth grade, you're like listening to a band that you think is cool that no one else knows about. So maybe you're bobbing your head a little bit hard, a little bit harder than normal. So people are asking you, what are you listening to? And you're like, oh, don't worry. <laughs> band called Less Than Jake. You haven't heard of them. No, no worries. Cool. We're totally fine. What I thought was really interesting about it too was, um, you know, you hear a lot about like, uh, the methods, the methods of the competitors. How do they draw this and that out of their teammates and themselves to create success? And what I thought was really cool about it was just Jordan never really had necessarily a premeditated set pattern. He's defending himself now being like, well, this is what I did because this is what I wanted to get out of people. But it wasn't like it, every day Jordan walked in and he was going to be this, this general, you know what I mean? He wasn't going to walk in with a scowl on his face. The room didn't cut to silence whenever he walked into a room. Now, sure, maybe there were days when that happened, but it also seemed like he kind of mixed it up a little bit. Was he always going to, like, ball bust people and give them a hard time and talk trash? Yes, for sure, totally. But at the same time, like, you know, he knew when to show up and maybe 
let some of the other guys know they're like, Hey, no big deal. Like, let's just play some basketball. Or maybe other days you'd show up and be like, you know, Hey, like get your shit together, which kind of helps me dovetail perfectly into a great, like one of the most underserved parts of this documentary has been Phil Jackson. And I'm sure we'll maybe get that in another documentary some other day, but uh, his, um, his candid uh, emotional reaction during that timeout um, is, uh, was one of my favorites. Uh, it's like, he looks up, he pauses for a second, looks at MJ and just goes, this is a scary fucking situation, guys. <laughs> these guys were, these guys were dead fucking meat. This is a scary situation. I'm not, you know what I mean? Just like really just, that's the fill that has not been shown at all in this documentary. I think we've been getting like, we've been getting sedated Phil. Uh, we've been getting like, yeah. it seems like he's, you know, he's had a couple of, a couple of drinks before he sat down uh, for these interviews at times. But uh, I thought that was one of those like really great candid moments of in the heat of the battle, uh, the Zen master, uh, <laughs> the set master maybe tinkled in his pants just a tiny bit there. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? Yeah. Hopping I mean, I don't know. That's, that's, that's the, that's the only time I can never remember Phil saying anything about being scared or anything, you know, like that was, it was almost like shocking to see. And then him saying it to Michael and then, you know, like wondering what Michael's thinking, like, wait, what? <laughs> are, you, are you scared? Cause I'm not, but should I be scared? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hop in BCK. He is, he is very wise. So I kept thinking like, I mean, it, when you watch that clip, it just, it does seem just super visceral, very real. But in my head, I was like, maybe, maybe Zen master needs to say this, not for MJ, but for the other players to, to start getting, you know, a little fire under their ass. Yeah. One of those moments where I think, I think it's possible that the Chicago bulls created that concept that is now used in sports as a cliche all the time of, they can turn the switch on and off whenever they want. And maybe it was one of those moments where, you know, it was getting down to the brass tacks and that switch still hadn't flipped yet. And Phil was just like, uh, guys, you know, how much longer are you going to wait here? Maybe I need to lay this out to you in, in general terms. I'm scared. Uh, no, yeah, no, like, you know what I mean though? Like, you know, like quit, quit, uh, quit jerking around and actually start making this happen. And then obviously it worked. You know what I mean? It was a sobering, it was a sobering moment for him. And then also the, uh, I think Phil at the practice after Rodman disappeared and I couldn't quite tell whether he was being serious or he was being light, but like making a point when he was saying that we, you know, we were dishonored, we were dishonored as a group. Um, kind of an interesting way to go about it, right? Like sort of not taking someone to task, but also making it very well known that what you did was not okay. And it's like, I've stated that and now we can move on. Um, just kind of these interesting, subtle tactics to see kind of how he goes, goes about his business. The Zen master, Hoppin Higgs. Well, we talked about in the previous pods about Phil, like, you know, is this guy really, really that good of a coach because he had Michael and Pippen goes to Lakers had Shaq and Kobe and, you know, I, I had said, I think he, he is a great coach because he's been able to handle all those personalities. Like, just take that one thing with Rodman and doing that during the finals, just that one piece. How would any of us handle that? I, you can go in a million different directions, man, and that thing can go wrong a lot of ways. 
So the way that Phil was able to navigate all those things with Rodman and top of all the other personalities and everything, I mean, once again, you got to give Phil, Phil credit. Yeah, the, the part that I really admire about Phil, too, and, and you're, you're bringing it up right now, which is a great point, is the fact that a lot of times when stuff like that happens, when disruptors happen in sports or when someone goes off like the beaten path of what is normally this straightforward line of competition, um, I think temp- typically a lot of times in life people will feel people get out of touch because they're inconvenienced in some way. You know, when Rodman disappeared like that, a coach would flip out because it was inconveniencing his own schedule or it was going against the grain of some sort of mantra that he had already constructed or whatever and somehow he was making it personal. But what makes Phil really great is that he wasn't happy about it, but at the same time, didn't take it personally, doesn't really change how he was going to coach the game and the entire concept of uh, do we have you or do we not have you? The same way that when Pippen was hurt in that game, you know, it's not about getting upset. It's just about knowing are you available or not? Because we're moving forward without you no matter what happens. Can you start? Yeah, okay, like cool. Let's do it. Let's go for it. He never really made it about him or the concept of being put out in any sort of way. It was all about just moving forward. Hey, we got Rodman in the building now. Let's just keep it going and moving forward. Hop in, BCK. Yeah, that, that was, a, you know, that was a, a, a theme that ran through this, the, the series. This episode wasn't the first time that, you know, in Rodman's little sit-down, he had to say, oh, you know, Phil, Phil, Phil got it. Phil knew that I had to go do me sometimes. That's just how it was. And the thing is, and they repeated it, whatever dumb shit he did, when he was on the court, he murdered like you can argue that without him that, that you know th- those games would have been those years would have been so different and he probably had a little separate side talk with him also the the little thing on the on the you know the, in that clip was probably not the only time that phil chatted with with dennis about that incident i agree but i mean yeah and, and looking back now i guess you can just say that he handled it perfectly because it seemed like rodman responded every time instead of maybe feeling like that uh, you know, he had some sort of axe to grind against management or the coach or whatever. It just sort of seemed like he let him do his thing, slapped him on the wrist, but did it quietly enough. And then Rodman would say, I'm sorry by going out and playing hard. Hop in Higgs. Yeah. Well, we talked about it after the, uh, the Rodman episode and, you know, Phil would let him go do his thing every once in a while. And then Rodman would come back and he said, he didn't necessarily apologize, but he'd go out and play hard. Um, and I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh no! Wait. Your mind went to Vegas, and then <laughs> and then came back. Oh, How many? That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah, I mean, like I remember, you know, because Robin did a lot of dumb shit, and most of the time, as Bulls fans, we forgave him. But there were a couple incidents, and this was one of them. I remember at that time, like it was a big deal that he went into this WWF, you know, WWE thing or whatever at the time, WCW, and yeah, I remember being very uncertain, being like, "Is this?" what's going to happen, man? Is this going to like implode? Like this could be really, really bad. And, you know, hindsight now we know everything turned out okay. So it's kind of like funny to see Rodman doing them. Like, what is this guy doing? He's doing wrestling in the middle of the NBA finals. Like, can you imagine that, 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 that would never happen now. I mean, it's built on their contract. They probably be able to do that anyway. But even back then it was like, this is absolutely insane. dude. What are you doing? Well, and the concept, too, of, like, it got to the point where he could have just been kicked off the team. 
You know what I mean? He, he might not have just been allowed to play the rest of the finals, and, and that was becoming a real, a real possibility, and that was probably scarier than anything. Hop in, Mike. Well, and let's be honest. I think we won those last two uh, championships in the 97-year, 98-year, um, to some degree, despite Dennis Rodman. You know, he, you know uh, he did everything he did in the regular season, but, like, looking at stats in those two finals against the Jazz, I mean, he only averaged, like, seven rebounds in one year and eight rebounds in another year. It was really, like, especially that last year, it was Brian Williams, a.k.a. Bison Dele, and Luke Longley, who really kind of came through. So his antics... You know, as as he's proven in every stop, it, it kind of worn its welcome. So, you know, uh, credit to Phil. Aaron nailed it. Like, Phil's greatest attribute. I mean, I don't know what kind of X's and O's guys he is. Obviously, he loves the triangle. But, like, his greatest ability was to deal with personalities. And especially in professional sports, that actually may be the biggest skill set you need as a head coach. And that's what's crazy, right? Leading into that final championship is you had – so Rodman was awesome in the, the finals the previous year, but that sixth title, you're right. I mean, he was ineffective, uninterested, uh, whatever you want to call it. And then you had Pippen's back issues. So you've got your trio right there. Two of them are, let's just say maybe 60, 70% of who they are. And yeah, you're rotating. You're playing Luke Longley more minutes than you probably want to. You're trusting Bison Daly probably more than you want to. And what is it? You know what I mean? It's who coach Harper Kerr, you know, some duct tape and uh, Michael Jordan, you know what I mean? Dragging, dragging this team through. And that's what was so incredible. And, and honestly that game three that they had, they had a nice little montage with that 43 point game. Now it was just so, 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 so important to that series. Now, not only just out in the win column, but they just needed that type of wind, at least give them some sort of um, some sort of, level of confidence to continue to compete in that series because they really kind of fell apart by the end of it. I mean, they were, I mean, that was like Jordan dragging his team to victory as close as it gets. Go ahead, Mike. I mean, they limited, I, I totally forgot this, but they limited the jazz in that game three to 54 points, which is <laughs> a record in the shot clock era. So if that doesn't boost your confidence, I, I have no idea what will. Jerry Sloan looks at the box score and goes, is this the score? <laughs> <That was> the- <laughs> <laughs> and they had 31 at the half in, the, in that game and 54 was the total. Oh. So they scored even, they scored 23 fucking points in this. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Do you guys remember that? Cause I don't remember that. No, I don't either. Actually. I, re- I remember that game as in, that was just a huge all-time blowout game and i do remember i didn't remember it was 54 but i i thought it was like 60 the low 60s i remember it being one of those like at the time like the fewest points a team had ever scored in an nba finals game yada yada i mean it wasn't so much a defensive masterpiece as like the bulls blew them out of the water so early on they shot poorly and we just kept coming you know everyone had such an amazing game they we won by like 43 we won by almost as many points as they scored in that it's game. Crazy. It's crazy. I mean, that's just something else. So we've got a couple things left here on this episode 10. Two of them are some pretty big topics. One of them I want to ask you guys is there's a couple of things here that I think us Bulls fans remember that I'll be honest, I was kind of hoping that the documentary would go into, but they didn't. So I'm going to list off, uh, I think it's about a list of about five or six things that I thought was going to be covered in the documentary that were not. And if you guys want to throw in some that I'm maybe forgetting, go for it, or maybe talk about the ones that you wanted to see the most, go for it. So here are the ones that I wanted to talk about. They did cover the Hubert Davis 
phantom call um, <laughs> game five of Bulls Knicks in 94. But they didn't really talk about Hugh Hollins and the vitriol and the Phil Jackson and all the bickering and bitching going on between Phil Jackson and Pat Riley during that series, which actually was kind of like, you know, the birthplace of the, the sniping, the sniping in the media to get calls and the home teams and this all sort of like built towards this crescendo in those 2002-2003 uh, finals between like the Lakers and the Kings and, you know, crooked refs and all this stuff. This was kind of really the birthplace of that. and They never really got into that. Rodman kicking the camera guy in 96, um, getting suspended for eight games, it being like a big deal. You know, today we'd be like, should Rodman be arrested for assault? Uh, should Rodman ever play the game again um, with the way that we, you know, the hyperbole that we use the media now? But back then that was a pretty huge deal. Um, the starting lineup introductions, really kind of surprised they did not do anything with that because not only was it amazing for the city of Chicago, but it created this whole um, vibe and this whole pregame presentation that every single stadium in the NBA co like copied for years upon years. And it really became a true event. And, you know, from North Carolina, like they didn't even really go into any of that or the cadence, the man in the middle. I thought that was kind of a, an interesting omission. Um, the Black Sox Black Shoes, which I'm super surprised wasn't even mentioned once, that I thought that that was one of the coolest moves of solidarity, that whenever the Bulls would go into the playoffs, didn't matter what your shoe company was, whatever it was, everyone wore black socks and everyone wore black shoes throughout the entire playoffs. Just a really cool look, something that I definitely tried to copy, uh, playing in the backyard and like playing in leagues moving forward. They didn't really go into that at all. And then the, finally, the one that I totally thought was going to happen last night that didn't, the famous mailman don't deliver on Sunday story, which was graciously uh, skipped over in the documentary, which I found to be hilarious. Um, you know, before Jordan makes that big shot, it was Carl Malone clanking free throws late in the game. And as the story goes, uh, Malone went to toe the line. And if we all remember Carl Malone, Carl Malone would – have this really long free throw presentation. He would twirl the ball several times in his hands. It would tenderly be bounced, patted in his hands a couple of times. And then he would say, as he said, something different every single time. Uh, Uruba, Jamaica, ooh, I want to take it. And then he would like shoot a free throw or whatever it was. And before he gets up to the free throw line, the story goes that Scotty Pippen goes up to mailman and whispers in his ear, just so you know, the mailman don't deliver on Sundays. And the mailman Carmelo misses these free throws. And I can't believe that story did not make it into the documentary. I know I just had a long list. Any of those jump out to you or one in your guys' mind that didn't make it to the documentary that you would have liked to have seen? Mike, go ahead. Joey, we're probably going to get in an argument here right now. But, uh, nice. Um, no, I, you know, I, I think you brought up a lot of valid points. Obviously, you know, it's 10 episodes, which is 10 hours worth of content, but obviously they ended up basically spanning 15 years back to Jordan's rookie year and even a little bit before that with his Carolina days. But, you know, I mean, the Hugh Hollins call is we probably already disagreed previously. You know, that, that call could have been called that way. Was it a phantom call? Yeah, probably. But I don't fault them for calling that per se. But obviously, anybody outside of Chicago, I don't know how much they care about that. Um, you know, the, the Alan Parsons uh, you know, project doing serious. I mean, they did kind of cover that, you know, in episode one, where basically that's how they closed out the episode. 
Um, I, I, but I 100% agree. That's super iconic um, in all of sports. I think everyone identifies that song with the Bulls. But I mean, other than kind of saying like how that song got selected in the first place, I don't know how much more they could have done with that. Um, and then, you know, with the, the shoes, I was doing a deep dive into the black shoes and black socks. It was actually Brad Sellers. Remember all-time Bulls great Brad Sellers uh, back uh, in 89 who suggested we should start doing that. Um, but they actually didn't start doing the black socks and black shoes until 96, surprisingly. I thought they were had done that a lot earlier. But, um, you know, even with that, like, I mean, I think at least in terms of pop culture, you know, the Fab Five is you know, whether it's appropriate or not, they're the ones who are kind of generally considered the guys who started that. So, um, you know, for me, I would have, oh God, there's so many things, right? Like I would have loved to have seen some of the uh, uh, Jordan's first Olympic team footage, you know, back when that, before the dream team, that was kind of considered the best Olympic team ever. You know, you had guys like Charles Barkley and John Stockton who got cut from that team. Um, And then, um, you know, also for me, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of this idea how Rodman maybe even more so than his rebounding, his greatest attribute was getting into players' heads. You know, they showed a little bit of that with Carl Malone, but I thought for sure they were going to show in that Sonic series because I know me and Aaron throughout the years have always talked about that where he would literally stand at the free throw line and just, he didn't even care who was shooting. He, he, he like took, he would just stare at Frank Burkowski and just like smile at him, <laughs> not even caring who was like shooting the free throws. I mean, so like, you know, so many things, but I think, I think they did an amazing job covering, covering, you know, 15 years worth of content. Yeah, I just uh, I'm greedy. I'm greedy at this point. You know, I want I want it all. Uh, that was a great point with Rodman. I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed Rodman giving Carl Malone a hard smack on the ass, and then Carl Malone's like, "I'm gonna give you a hard smack on the ass." How do you like and then, that? And then did you see in Rodman's like? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I think. <laughs> I think at the time. Um, at the time, and maybe still to this day, Carl Malone wasn't the most open-minded individual in terms of our uh, social choices in life. Let's just leave it at that. Um, and I, I'm with you, man. I think the starting lineup for me is just sort of uh, important because I wouldn't just say, like, let's go to, like, the, the demo recording sessions of the Alan Parsons Project. But what it is, is it just builds into the Bulls brand of, it, you know, it wasn't just George, you know. Jordan brought you not just the shoes, but he brought you like the biker shorts. You know what I mean? The, the tongue sticking out, the starting lineup introductions all built into the Bulls brand, which made it an international phenomenon. Um, you know, Benny the Bull selling weed out of his trunk. No, I'm kidding. Um, not that part. Um, and I just thought like the black shoes and black socks, I, I agree, was probably a rip off of Fab Five. Um, I just like, I just always love the fact that Luke Longley would come out with these big black socks and black shoes. And that's kind of how you knew it was playoff season uh, because they all, they all had different footwear on hopping Higgs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. The intro I think is one thing they, they, they missed out on just because so many other teams and other sports have copied it, you know, from the intro to, to the song. Um, I've, I've read, I read a couple of articles about it and I remember reading that, players who you know on the opposing teams come to the united center and when that song would come on they would get goosebumps because they're like holy shit i can't believe i'm here i'm in the united center where michael played and this is like after michael played after those championship years you know players even now just talking about watching those games as kids and now they're there and they hear that music and they're just like this is crazy i can't believe i'm here yeah uh forever uh that song will be synonymous with um winning and, Jordan. The, gary, and, and, and the gary glitter song 
I, I don't know. I forgot the actual name of it, but the Hey song. Dun, yeah. Dun, yeah. Dun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They always like, would call that. They'd always call that whenever the Bulls would go on like an 8-0 run in the fourth quarter, and it looked like it was about to – like they were about to wrap it up. Yeah. That was the right before the Hey, 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 uh, Goodbye song, you know what I mean? Like, or Another One Bites the Dust. That was the precursor to, uh, guess what? You done fucked. Uh, you're going to lose this game, you know? You done fucked. Um, BCK, um, anything from the documentary that – you, that left you wanting or anything off that list that you would have liked to see maybe explored a little bit more? Uh, let me touch on a couple of the, I, I you know, I, I did, I was also thinking about how they, they excluded Robin kicking the camera guy, but they, you know, they did, we had our fair share of, uh, in a doc of, of Rodman being an asshole and they did include uh, possibly my favorite Rodman quote ever. I was just trying to play basketball party and fuck all the girls. So I, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't, I wasn't too upset. Uh, I wasn't too upset. I got over it. Um, but dude, I was, I can't believe they didn't, uh, talk about that mailman line. Un- oh my God. It's so, it's so, it's, unbelievable. Not even, it's not even like a, a tall tale. I mean, that's pretty like well-documented, right? I borderline thought that they were going to have actual, like, um, I thought they were going to actually have a soundbite of it, like on the court or something like that. Right. And it didn't happen. And then, you know, Carl Malone's not even in the documentary. It didn't make any sense. Go ahead, Higgs. And the thing too, it's like, you don't have to spend that much time on it. You can spend a minute, minute and a half on that story. You don't even have to spend Scott too much it, time. Scott on it comes in and goes. In. <laughs> well, yeah. apparently, you know, it was, uh, I read a little article, uh, interview with uh, Pippin talking about it and he, he, you know, he didn't have, it wasn't premeditated. According to him, he didn't have this great, like, oh, I'm going to fucking come fuck with Malone right now. He just said it sort of came to him and he just said it like real off the, off the cuff and had no idea that it would be this big thing. Yeah, and let's give, uh, let's give some credit to Scotty. I think Scotty actually had a pretty good trash game, uh, trash talk game back in the day. I think he could, he could deliver just as good as anybody. I mean, that moment when he dunks over Ewing in 95, or maybe it was 94, but he dunks over Ewing, and then he's walking back, and he's, like, pointing at Spike Lee and everything. I think, like, I think Scotty knew how to talk. I think he knew how to talk himself a game. I think he knew how to shut, shut some people down. Go ahead, Troy. Well, and then also too, I, and I, um, for me, like, I just, uh, I mean, there's so many, there, I mean, there's so many little things, right? Like, it's like, you know, I don't know why this is even on my mind, but like how Michael's wearing white socks with the suits. I'm like, who wears white socks with their suit? You know? So, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's for me, you know, cause to some degree, we know all these iconic stories and moments, right? So it's actually like, and BCK mentioned it like in the previous podcast, it's just like those little hints of like, where it's literally just like a one second shot of something that you're like, oh, you know, where they did that black and white where they're drinking beers in the locker room after the game or, you know, where they showed that like, I didn't realize like they literally went to the hotel still dressed in their uniforms, you know, like, and then they were partying in the hotel. So it's like, it's those little tiny things that actually I was more intrigued by because like, and again, you know, maybe we're talking because we are so, you know, fully invested Bulls fans and maybe some of the stuff that we take for granted isn't in like the, you know, the pop culture vernacular. But yeah, it was, it was, those, it was those little like sides that were, were the most impactful to me throughout the entire series. Most impactful was Michael Jordan's Zubas game because uh, it was on point back in the day. Uh, we're going to hit two more topics here. They're going to be some big boys, and trust me, guys, we are not going to end this pod on a sad note. We are going to end it on a happy note. But first, let's talk about our sponsor today. For Believe in Betting Chicago, our sponsor is betonline.ag. 
And I know what you're thinking. Bet online, no NBA, no NHL, no MLB. What are we going to do? But don't worry. Bet online still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. NASCAR came back this past weekend. UFC is still going on right now. And they have Madden and NBA 2K simulations that you can gamble on. How about that? Online and casino poker and blackjack events as well. So why not go to betonline.ag and make sure you go onto the website next Sunday because ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges will be joining on the website to discuss the Michael Jordan doc, The Last Dance, and what they're calling it after the dance. So if you want some great stories on that, make sure that you check out that online. And when you go there, make sure you use the promo code MYPOD100 because Believe Benny Chicago and BladOnline.ag, we've come to an agreement to give you a welcome bonus on your first deposit. So that's MYPOD100 on the promo code MYPOD100. Check it out today. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Hop in, Joy. Joey, now that uh, ESPN is broadcasting Korean League baseball games, is, is that something that you can bet on? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have, I, I'll be honest, I have not watched yet. It's, it's, it's a, and it's nothing more out of just sadness for the fact that MLB isn't going on right now. But you can absolutely bet on that, man. You just got to get up at what, what's, the, what's the time change on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're doing rebroadcast, but they're they're airing them at like, you know, 7 p.m., 8 p.m. So, I mean, uh, as a what proud Korean-American... Bet on any player named Choi. That, that's my that's my Damn. betting advice for you guys. Even Choi, you're talking. You're, 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 sorry, you're talking about the North Korean League, right? <laughs> <laughs> you die yeah. if you lose your game. Oh man, that you mes- might die if you win your game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that mezcal looks delicious. Eggs is just <laughs> bringing it right now. So we got two topics left. Let's go to the part that's going to hurt. Let's do the hurt part first. <laughs> and I literally, it was if, and get it, I get it. I'm an actor, all right? I'm a, I'm a gesticulator. I am an extrovert. Uh, I express myself with my hands. But at the end of episode 10, when that line scrolls across the screen, you know, in 1998, the Bulls won their sixth title, whatever. That season, you know, Jordan retired. Phil Jackson uh, was replaced. Scottie Pippen was traded. Steve Kerr was traded. Uh, Rodman was released. And then the line goes in 1998, comma, the Bulls began their rebuild. I, I thank God I was sitting on a couch because I was just like, I was like catapulted. It was like I had been like hit with a shotgun, like right in the chest. Um, it hurt so badly uh i say unfair uh mr documentary man why you got to go there why you got to hurt us like that uh hop in Choi, you got something on this i i i took total offense to that line because they're totally discounting you know the derrick rose years for five years you know which is no small stretch the bulls basically averaged 50 wins a game with 62 wins, you know, in that 10, uh, 11 season. So, I mean, you know, have we won a championship since? No. And have more years been bad than good? Yes. But I mean, we had some solid, solid teams and, you know, barring an ACL injury, I mean, who knows where the bulls would have been, but I mean, we, we, we've had some great teams, great memories since. And so, you know, will it ever reach, nothing is ever going to reach that six beat team, of course. But I mean, we've had some good teams, so I, I, I took a little offense to that. A little uh, jab. Everyone, everyone wants a piece. Higgs first, and then BCK. That's all, Michael. That's all, Michael. Hundred percent, a billion percent. True. Great point. The, the the filmmaker doesn't give a shit about that. That's all, Michael, man. And and as the owner of the Hornets, yeah, that's a that's like a good double dig at the Bulls. Hundred percent. 
BCK, your thoughts? I just, yeah, I knew it wasn't going to happen, but as soon as that line came up, dot, 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 all I wanted was like a slow fade in of D Rose's face just to like, <laughs> just to tease that maybe that was going to be the next 10 part or something. But I mean, of course not, but God, I wanted it. But or they like, could also, uh, um, sorry, I was going to say, they could also show Steve Kerr's face and be like, oh, this is the guy that we never even offered an interview to after we fired Scott Skiles. And John great Paxson, Paxson. Yes. Pa- yes. Paxson took him under his wing. They were teammates and Paxson's like, ah, I can't even give you an interview. Nope. You don't have experience. That's a no uh, podcast. Uh, well, so my, my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my original hope was going to be a very um, emotional um, finish on Jordan's face, you know, whether he was crying or not or whatever, and have something be very emotional and then just cut to like last dance um, uh, to, to fulfill choice bet on Lost betting money. Chicago here. Lost a lot of money. <laughs> going to have to double down on Korean baseball now. And, um, <laughs> But yeah, like baseball. But yeah, that was the thing, right? Is like obviously it wasn't going to be something like. For more information, visit the Chicago Bulls website at <laughs> www.chicagobulls to learn more about getting tickets today. Uh, and it also wouldn't have been. It also would have been kind of funny if uh, it was that song, uh, "When Will I See You Again?" And it's like Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler and like all like Marcus Pfizer and like all the talk shit. All the dog shit hopes and dreams that we've bundled into our Chicago Bulls uh, lifetime over Tyrus Thomas. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but hey, man, you know that just that just hurt. I'm just gonna call bad form. I'm gonna call bad form in the documentary right there. Um, and for Bulls fans, obviously, there's been a long there was a long stretch where we were so spoiled as kids, you know, winning six out of eight and having Jordan for over a decade, what 12, 13 years or whatever it is. And, you know, for those few years when we sucked, like we could take it, you know, because we were so lucky and grateful and, you know, never would have traded it for anything. And, you know, everyone has their ups and their downs and we had so, so many highs, we can take the lows, but man, it's been like 22 years now. Um, (laughs) I think we're allowed to, I think we're allowed to re-enter the, the region of disgruntled uh, sports fan. And uh, to just kind of like shoot that at us right now is I just I, I found it to be uncalled for and uh, wildly inappropriate. What do you think, Higgs? Well, here's the thing. No non-Bulls fan is going to have any sympathy for any of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got so lucky, man. We had the best player ever, six championships. You know, as I've told you before, Bulls my favorite Chicago sports team. And it bums me out how they've been run. Luckily, they're changing some things around. We'll see how yep. that goes. And it does suck that we haven't been as good as those years. But ultimately, we can't say anything when there's other franchises who've never even been to a finals, let alone won one, let alone won six. So I, I'm 100% behind you, but I also have to take a grain of salt because of we got super lucky. I agree. Just go ahead, Choi. Well, and also, I mean, I'm sure we're going to discuss this. So, but I mean, I thought the most telling thing too, as well, was I, I did not know. I literally did not know that Reinsdorf basically offered Phil Jackson one more year. That was completely brand Same. brand new information to me. So it's actually kind of funny hearing that the narrative switches a little for me because maybe it was Phil Jackson who ultimately ended up being the Kaiser Sose, you know, and not Jerry, uh, um, Jerry Krause, because I mean, 
again, you know, it's a little lip service with Phil saying, oh, oh that wouldn't be fair to Jerry Krause, you know, like, you don't care what Jerry Krause thinks. We know that. You, you are at odds with this guy. So the fact that Reinsdorf, if, if we're to take it at face value, and it seemed like, you know, Phil did confirm that it was true, that he's like, yeah, you know, um, but theoretically didn't want to potentially go through a rebuild, so didn't come back. So, I mean, that, that, we got to talk about that because that, to me, changes the narrative for so many things. Yeah, all's, all's fair in love and war when you're putting rings on your finger, right? Go ahead, Higgs. Yeah, but for me, it's like, you know, everyone agreed that at the beginning of the season, Krause told him, I don't care if you go 82-0, and 0, you're not coming back. So as Phil, from the first day of the season, he told everybody this is the last dance because that's what Krause told him. So if you have that mentality in your head the whole season, like this is it, and everybody else has the same thing in their head, this is it, then all of a sudden Reinsdorf goes, hey, you want to come back? He's like, wait, what? I think Phil is just like already in his head, like, I'm, you don't want me here. I'm gone. If I do stay, Krause is going to be like, I want Tim Floyd, who he's pining for the whole season. Yeah, Michael can say, well, if, yeah, when then Phil would have came back and this guy. Not, not, if, not after what Krause had said. If Krause hadn't said that at the beginning of the season, then, yeah, I can see Phil maybe going and come back. I also feel like Phil's – I mean, Phil had been burned out, dude. That's what, how many years coaching the 10 straight years of coaching the Bulls at a high level every single year? He started out with the Pistons. He had to go through that. Then going all the way through those championships, through those two, Michael not being there. Then Michael coming and doing another three. He was, he was done. Anybody would be done. So, Kyle's telling him he's gone and then Phil being, you know, being burned out. I don't see any of them coming back. It's one of those Despite moments, too. Yeah, and one of those moments where, like, just that one quote is just so unforgivable. The whole the, the eighty-two and zero. This is his last year thing, and it's just one of those moments where, like, you could say whatever you want in the press, but there are certain lines that you can't cross, and it seemed like that definitely crossed the line. That that even him coming back in some way would be like an affront to his own self. You know what I mean? He'd be going against what he he stood for and what his own worth was to come back to someone after he had completely written that person off and it just it'll go down as one of the worst sound bites, not just in Chicago Bulls history, but maybe in sports. Cause we don't never know what would have happened if they had kept trying. Go ahead, Choi. Well, I mean, the only pushback I have to that, and I a hundred percent agree with what Aaron said, like, yeah, if any of us were in those situations, we probably were like, fuck you. I don't, I don't want any part of this. But the only issue I have with that is, and again, if we're to take all this at face value, it doesn't seem like Phil nor Reinsdorf shared any of this info with Michael because he literally looks like, wait, what? 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 what inf-? Like when they're handing him the, the iPad, like he genuinely looks like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then obviously he gets his information about, oh, well, Phil potentially could have come back. And then that's where even Michael goes like, I- you know, had, I mean, who knows what he would have done had he known the information, but he literally says, I wanted a chance at number seven. You know, I would have come back. I would have signed a one-year deal. You don't think Steve Crow would have signed a one-year deal. You don't think, you know, he basically said like Scotty that might've taken a little talking to, but he wanted it. So I guess for me, it was literally the fact that your greatest player was not involved in the conversation of whether, you know, Phil's coming back, whether he's not coming back. Cause like that, again, that looked like he was genuinely surprised by this info. I don't know how much of that was acting or not, but it, I mean, to me, he looked genuinely surprised. Well, yeah, the, when he was looking at the iPod and then his, his eyes kind of crooked up to the top of the ceiling, that's yep. definitely like you 
when you get that letter on hot schedules from your boss and you're like reading it and you're like, oh, so let me get this straight. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the person and who it's coming from. So when those particular words come out of your boss's mouth, you go, you're just kind of doing like a bullshit check on it. And you can oh, definitely tell Phil confirmed that. So this wasn't just, you know, you know, PR speak on Reinsdorf's part, like Phil confirmed that that offer was made. So, I mean, I'm just saying that it didn't seem like Michael was fully aware of the situation that may or may not have made him rethink coming back to the bulls. Well, know, yeah. And let's, and, and it's very fair to also uh, question, you know, the, the Bill Simmons theory of one, uh, the NBA was looking at a lockout to um, the, the, this, the story is very true by Jordan cutting his finger and tearing a tendon um, on a cigar cutter to the point where he probably would have missed three months. He would not have been able to turn until December or January. Um, he would have had to have dealt with if it was the lockout, an, an asterisk type season. There was a lot of different factors in there that kind of screwed up the timing a little bit. Um, and maybe we're also contributing to him maybe taking those few years off because obviously he did come back. Um, what, were you, what were you thinking on BCK? Uh, I'm, I was curious as to, and I imagine maybe you are going to bring this up, but, uh, you know, what if Phil says yes, Jordan says all right, Pippen says all right, Kerr says all right, Kukoc says all right. What happens, what happens in 98-99? I mean, in my opinion, you know, all good things come to an end, but there is just no doubt after winning that sixth title that they wouldn't have figured out how to do it again. Because that sixth title was honestly the first time, and I remember this vividly as a Bulls fan, having not doubts, but, you know, just being scared, you know, and are thinking that this team was finally vulnerable. And that's what made Jordan so amazing is that he literally dragged us through it, even when I was kind of wavering a little bit of whether, you know, whether it was a fait accompli that he would just continue to win titles. It was kind of up in the air a little bit that season, and he still figured out a way to do it. So, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, the hindsight is twenty twenty, but every yeah. part of me thinks that they probably they probably would have made a damn good run at it, man. And if you put Jordan in an NBA Finals, and if you get him one or two wins away from winning a title, there is just no shot in my mind that he does not lock that down. Go ahead, Choi. I hundred percent agree. I think they definitely would have won the seventh strictly because, I mean, I guess we have to consider the 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 the, the cut finger, the the tendon, but if there was ever a season for them to win that seventh, it was the abbreviated season, you know? I mean, the whole thing is like, right, we always hear about people saying like, these seasons are too long. It's just a haul to get through the seasons. But I forget what that uh, lockout season was. Was it like 50 games-ish, give or take? It was a 50-game season, yeah. And yeah. then the finals was Nick Spurs. Um, that was the Tim Duncan, David Robinson team. Yeah. Right. Young, so, young uh, Duncan almost kind of sort of banged up David Robinson. Other than your point, which is totally valid of like, well, maybe he didn't want the asterisk around the set potential seventh title. There was not a setup more inclined for them to win another title than that abbreviated season. And as we, as we know, like Michael Jordan is a bully. There is no way, whether they wanted to or not, he wouldn't have convinced every person on that roster to sign a one-year deal. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind that he wouldn't have like literally strong-armed Scotty to go, you're playing another year. Scotty Burrell, it's MJ. <laughs> exactly. I'm outside your house. Come outside now. <laughs> I know I said next time I see you, I'm going to start a fight with you and kick your ass, but slight change in plan. <laughs> yeah, this signing, is his teammate. <laughs> you're, signing, you're signing this contract. Uh, Higgs, do you think they would have uh, had a shot at seven? in the 90, Yeah, 90, for sure, 90? man. 
Yeah, I mean, look at they—they they have gone up against the Knicks or the Pacers, who they've beaten previously. Like I said earlier, MJ was MVP. <laughs> so you have the MVP coming back with the defending champs. I mean, with a shortened season, that's a pretty damn good chance, no? Yeah, and it's the it's the whole thing too of you know he has the spotless record, and I think this is probably a good time to sort of. I just wanted to finish on just talking about MJ, dude. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Honestly, like he's got that spotless record. He's got the six and zero. You know, it's it's the one more of all the different sports out there. You know, it's the one more than the Montana. Um, he doesn't own all the all-time records, but he's got a bunch of per-game records. When it comes to the playoffs, no one can touch him. NBA Finals, more than anyone. Points per game, more than anyone. 40-point games, more than anyone. And, I mean, I, and, I, I, and, it's, and it's bittersweet, right, because that's the fun of it now, is asking yourself the question, how many could he have won? Um, and I don't think anyone in their right mind says, well, if they had beaten the Pistons in 89, they would have won that title. I don't think anyone goes that far. But that 94, that 95, and then that 98, 99 season, we're always going to ask ourselves, would he have done it? And I guess that's kind of part of the fun of it. And that's kind of sort of the deflating fun of debating the LeBron thing because he went to so many finals, and which is incredible in its own right, but he lost them. That mystique of Jordan of whether he always would have done it still maintains, and I think that's a big part of why his um, his legacy thrives still to this day the way that it does. So, I mean, I'm just I'm just super thankful that like us as Bulls fans we all get it. But now, I mean, I, I'm interested to hear if you guys had interactions. I mean, obviously we're only zooming and we're not seeing a lot of people in this life right now. Very understandable, but. I've just been loving the text messages and the things I've been getting from either relatives or whatever about, I didn't know he was this good or like, <laughs> you know, honestly, like I knew you guys, I knew Joey that you loved him and you were an obsessive nerd about it, but I didn't realize it was like, he was this amazing at this level. And I think that's been the biggest win of this documentary right now is it's, it's transcending the six championships. And we as Bulls fans and as Jordans fans have always felt like that, that he transcends just this concept of winning um it goes just it goes far beyond that hop in higgs i almost feel like they could have like supplanted it with like you know jordan's top 50 plays top 10 defensive plays assists steals blocks like because those are super fun to watch too and you're like holy shit wow yeah this guy's unbelievably good i mean we saw the documentary we see like more of like the well-rounded jordan but you could just watch just his plays alone, if you don't really know too much about him, and you're going to be like, wow, this is, this guy's unreal. Joy, hop in. Well, I mean, is it possible? <laughs> so this documentary series made me love and appreciate and respect and admire Michael Jordan as the player, as this icon, so much more than I possibly even thought I could. But is it possible that at the same time, I also didn't like him so much as a person because let's face it, like he was kind of a dick. And again, if it, if it was anybody else who, uh, with a name that wasn't Michael Jordan, we'd be like, God, this guy's a dick. But, um, you know, to your question about like this, this whole thing about who's the best LeBron, Kobe, Michael, you know, like to me, it, it, yes, to me, it's, you would think the numbers prove it. You would think the championships prove it. But ultimately, 
it doesn't matter, right? Because it's like these are arguments that'll be held for as long as there's time. It's Chicago deep dish versus New York, you know, style pizza. It's, it's this idea that like, hey, there's going to be another player that comes in along in 20 years that, oh, now is he better than Michael, you know? So to me, it's like he is the greatest player to ever play to me and that's all that matters right it's just like this idea that like it's not right it's not wrong it's like hey i think my mom is the greatest mom in the world and you can think your mom is the greatest mom in the world and we're both right just like we're all right that luka Doncic's mom is awesome and <laughs> that christian yelich's mom is awesome you know we're all right so you know that's, that's only a matter of time yeah. before that was brought up you guys christian yelich it's only a matter of time dude you're making great points and like the two things that I've really learned a lot about are I'm just, I, I don't enjoy the comparison conversation because for me, it takes away from my enjoyment of Kobe and LeBron. Like they are different players. Like, you know, I hate this conversation of I have to go to this place where I feel like I have to insult Kobe's career because he only won five titles. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just, let's just be honest. Like Jordan, which is better than Kobe. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Kobe was an amazing, driven, singular talent who not only won three titles, but then for many years afterwards, everyone always dogged him and was like, hey, you know, he'll never win that title without Shaq. And then he went back to back, and then he won two of them, man. Like, that is just a huge credit that is a testament to how great an all-time player that he was. And that doesn't have to be some sort of, you know, thing that like puts him on the same level as, as black Jesus as referred to in the documentary, the black cat. Yeah. And same thing with LeBron. You know what I mean? Like, I, I hate the fact that like, you know, if it's a productivity and accumulation points award, like, you know, Carl Malone's the greatest player of all time. So, you know what I mean? This whole LeBron argument, but LeBron's been such an amazing person, not only on and off the floor, a dude who, when he was 16 years old, Everyone thought, you know, he's going to be this next great big thing, which typically automatically puts him on the flame out uh, potential category. And he didn't do it at all. Never got in trouble. Was amazing from the minute that he stepped on the court in the NBA. Is still amazing to this very day. Takes care of his body. Is an interesting teammate, like in his own right. Has done a bunch of really cool things. And for him, he's really kind of built his brand where it's not like Gatorade and Hanes and Nike are all coming to him. He's kind of found his own way to create his own different moments to produce his brand. And that's commendable again, not better than Jordan, but at the same time, why do, why does it have to be compared? Like I, I just want to appreciate LeBron for his greatness in just that in it, in its own sense, instead of me being like, well, would he have ever beaten my hero? You know what I mean? I just don't think it's, it's just kind of a, a fruitless pursuit. And then my other point to you saying about him being uh, an asshole and never meet your hero situation. I will say for the most part, I've loved every single second of Mike in this one. Like <laughs> I love it. I think he's funny and I think it's like a ball busting dickish funny. And I'm, I'm at, I'm at the core of me. I'm actually, I, I truly believe that I, I try and be like, a nice dude and stuff like that. So I don't have that in me, but I'm attracted to people that are like that because I love, I swear I, I like that spice of life a little bit. You know what I mean? I love people that are different with personalities that speak their minds. And I love surrounding myself with that, even though I'm, you know, probably one of the more like appeasing dudes on the planet. But my wife came up with a really good point where like, we're seeing all these moments and at that shoot around, he hits that three and he's like, kind of like, He's kind of like Mick Jagger, like dancing and going like woo and everything. And then like 
my wife came up with a really good point. She's like, you know, it's really funny, but if you hung around that every day, at one point you'd be like, all right, enough. Like en- enough with this fucking guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like we get it every day. You're bald. You know what I mean? Just over and over and over again. Like we totally get it. Give us a day off. Hop in, Hanks. I think we might have talked about previous po- previous podcast, but yeah, I mean, Michael's that guy that unless you're Scotty Pippen, nobody likes to play with that guy. The guy who's hounding you all the time, you know, the guy who takes 30 shots, hits 10 of them. You take one shot and miss it. He's jumping all over you. You know, you're guarding the best guy on the other team and he's smoking you for points. You're doing the best you can. He's yelling at you while he doesn't play any defense at all. Uh, not that Michael didn't play defense, but I'm just saying like that kind of guy, I've played a lot of basketball and I can't stand playing with guys like that. I don't care how good they are. I don't care if we win the championship. It's like, uh, all right, I guess we won. I'm happy, but I don't like the way we did it. It wasn't just, fun. Just, yeah, just uh, enough already. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Uh, Aaron brought up two great segues cause I've been dying to like somehow weave this question in for Aaron, but I'm, I'm going to start with, he brought up Scotty Pippen. Um, you know, I thought for me, it was amazing to see how actually grueling that back injury game was for him. Mm. You know, that was, that was, I obviously we know in lore that he had back issues, but that I think the way they depicted that really brought that out. Um, but the one question I had with that was, um, Bro, why are you dunking to start off the game if you have back issues? Because this will lead me to my question for Aaron. Because Aaron, who give props to Aaron, Aaron Hagel, uh, podcast listeners, is a 6'5 man child. Uh, he is a stud baller. And one of the only one of us, well, only the one of us in this group who can dunk. So, like, that's why I want to ask Aaron, like, yeah, yeah, like, what is that thought mentality of dunking when you have back issues? And two, just in general, Aaron, please tell us what it feels like to actually throw down a dunk because that's just something I uh, dream actually, about. Yeah, yeah. Once you're up there, does the air smell better? I mean, is it just, do you hang up there? You kind of look at the clouds, like you, you see heaven. Than us. Yeah. You know, people have asked me this before and I've thought about it. And here, here's how I, I would equate it. I remember the first time I dunked, it was my junior year. And I kept on like throwing alley-oops to myself, like letting it bounce. And I finally dunked one, my first dunk ever. And so I equated to like having sex for the first time. Like you can't believe you did it and it feels great and you want to do it again. <laughs> that's what a, that's a dunking feels like. But the best dunk um, that makes you feel so powerful is a two-handed dunk. I didn't do too many of them, but if you could do a two-handed dunk, it's just something about it, just like ripping the, the rim down. Now going with the back problems, uh, Choi, you guys probably know as well. I've, I've had back problems since high school from playing basketball and volleyball. And I remember – uh, my summer going into senior year in high school, I hurt my back playing volleyball. And my doctor told me I couldn't do anything physical for two weeks. During that time, our high school had a summer camp for kids. I was one of the camp counselors. And, you know, I was like the only guy on the team that could dunk. So they all like wanted me to dunk. And I'm like, oh, I got a bad back. I'm like, come on, we want you to dunk. I was like, all right. Come on, dunk. So of course, I had to go up and dunk, land just like Pippin did. I was like, oh, no. You so did it too. To answer your question, the reason why he did that is just instincts, man. You can't, like, if you're open and you have a clean lane, you're not going to – you can't, like, not dunk. But as soon as he did that and I saw him wincing, I was like, oh, dude, I know that pain, man. And, and, and I have way more respect for Pippen now watching that as a guy in back pain because when you have back pain like that, I mean, it affects your entire body. The fact that he was even, like, running, I was like, I don't even exactly. know how you're doing that, dude. Like, that's, that's seriously impressive. One every th- every movement and every little like reaction stabbing you in the back with that injury. Uh, yeah. 
And I got to be honest, I mean, you got to think about it like this. There's nothing more aesthetically displeasing than the Carlos Boozer lightly dropping the ball in the bucket. Remember, he would never dunk. He would just go all the way up to the top to the theory that he would dunk. And then he would just, yeah, he would drop it in like a, like a little load of laundry. Fucking Boozer. Like, <laughs> unbelievable. If you guys like, ever want to know what it, it down, feels man. like to throw a bocce ball, give me a call. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you guys a question. Now we're getting towards the end of this. Um, out of the whole series, what's been your favorite clip, moment, or quote? Ooh, uh, wow, quotes. Um, God, I could go all day. Yeah, uh, man, the Larry Bird. Uh, <laughs> the Larry Bird, you bitch, fuck you. It's just so funny to me. Um, Jordan, uh, Jordan, the tickets from God was another great moment uh, with <laughs> yeah. Randy Brown asking him for the tickets was another amazing moment. And uh, we, I've mentioned it on a previous pod, but man, I'm going to do it again because it's the final one um, as a bit of like a, a capper or whatever. But man, there was nothing better and nothing made me cry harder than after Jordan in 95 gets eliminated by the magic. And I'm 11 years old at the time. And I'm living, breathing, dying bulls. You know, when they lose a regular season game, I would cry. You know, I mean, I'd be that upset. And my hero just lost in a playoff game, even though he wasn't at 100% of his powers and just going to sleep and thinking about, you know, what are the bulls going to do? And like, I'm already, I'm doing the nerd thing where I'm like, what kind of roster moves can we make in the off season? How do we get to the back to the top? Is Jordan ever going to come back? Is he ever going to be a champion again? This is my hero. And at the time, my hero is literally telling his trainer that I will see you tomorrow because I'm going to start working out to get back to the level that I'm at. And that level turned into three more amazing championships throughout my junior high that, you know what I mean? I, I treasure more than anything else. And, you know, like you get the cliches of, uh, you know, never meet your heroes and the Charles Barkley of we're not role models and stuff like that. I just think like in that moment, Jordan is the type of role model that I admire and want to be when there's someone who fails like that and doesn't point any fingers or you know what i mean doesn't go on vacation or doesn't do the rob gronkowski you know the seven way with porn stars you know what i mean dancing at a club you know what i mean he literally is just like i'm gonna go back to work tomorrow to get back to where i want to be and that's what made him my hero because he was successful and what we're beginning to realize is that the dude worked just as hard as he was gifted and for me that i think that's like that's a, of all the stuff, that's like a weird life lesson that I was trying to take from my childhood that is now being like validated later in my life. And it just makes me feel so good that like, I believed in that and he fulfilled my faith in him. Like that's my, that is by far my, my favorite moment so far. Go ahead, Troy. Yeah. I mean, Aaron, for me, um, I, I think one of the most telling, not necessarily a quote, but one of the most telling things that I heard that happened in the last episode, the last episode with Scotty, who arguably can be said had the biggest beef with Jerry Krause, right? The fact that he said that Jerry Krause is the greatest GM of all time. I mean, that's very telling. Um, in terms of quotes, like we really realize that like Michael Jordan does have a God complex, like literally, you know, Joey, you just mentioned the uh, tickets from God. And obviously in uh, episode nine, he talks about, hey, don't ever talk trash to black Jesus, which is a great quote, but also really is kind of getting you into the psyche that I am God. Like that's how we kind of viewed himself on the basketball court. And in terms of image, the most indelible image in all 10 episodes for me 
was when he was laying on the floor after that championship, just sobbing. Because as we kind of discussed in that podcast, I don't think we've ever heard the audio for that. We've always seen the image, but to see that, which is already an iconic image, you know, of him winning a championship on Father's Day, you know, with the history with his dad, and then hearing him just like weep, like that to me, like that'll, that'll never leave me. Like he can't cry. Oh, you can't, I'm sorry, you can't breathe because he's crying. So much, yeah. He was so wailing, in, yeah. So intensely. BCK quotes, uh, any moment, uh, favorite moment, anything that sticks out right now? Uh, I, I actually really, really love um, what, why would I think about missing the shot that I haven't taken yet or whatever? That was, uh, I mean, you can just apply that to anything in your whole life, no matter who you are, and just watch your fucking success soar and watch your life get better. I mean, that is unbelievable. Loved it. And, and uh, to, to second what you said, Joey, I mean, you bitch fuck you is absolute solid gold. <laughs> I need to say it to everybody all the time. I just can't get over it. It was fantastic. You enjoy yourself, dog? <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> Uh, are we, are we, how close are we to being done? I had, I had a, a little subject I want to bring up. Oh, please bring okay. it up. Is that all right? Bring it up. Bring it up now, man. Yeah. Yeah. We're, okay, we're, okay, we're yeah. Or, or Higgs, you want to go first and then he'll pop it in real quick. I was going to oh, say, yeah, uh, yeah. I, th- I think my favorite quote was, uh, during the Rodman, uh, segment when he said something about, you know, I'll play basketball for free. You got to get paid for all the bullshit you got to deal with afterwards. And I thought that was actually a pretty cool quote. And I'm sure a lot of other athletes could probably sympathize with that you know like the game's the fun part it's all the shit you got to deal with afterwards uh my favorite clip by far by far <laughs> was the uh the plane ride home after i forgot what championship it was and jerry Krause dancing in the aisle and everyone going man. oh jerry man it's like you know we shit on him so much but like you know pippen said you know one of the best gms and i think i loved it because it was such a like a pure joy happy moment they all had their problems with Kraus, but at that moment, they were all happy for, for Jerry, and they're happy. And they wanted to see him dance, and I, I love that. I thought that was yeah, cool. and don't we? It probably gets a little lost, but you know, Jerry Kraus had good days too. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, yeah. he got a chance to more good days than bad. Yeah, I think he got to got a chance to enjoy this and everything that he put together and all that success too, as well. Even though obviously is being painted and probably portrayed correctly that it didn't work out exactly the way that uh you know he thought he thought it was going to but yeah i think all these moments of just the stuff that we heard as kids and the stuff that we watched on the court and the stuff that we kind of thought was happening all is kind of always kind of been validated you know what i mean like none of these dudes really ever you know cut corners or did anything i mean they all put the work in and they all cared so much and they cared as much as we cared which is crazy, uh, which is hard to have between a fan-athlete relationship um, of people, of athletes that want something just as bad as, as a city does, and then to do it multiple, multiple times over. Um, it's just very fulfilling, especially as a fan that grew up, you know, so obsessed with them as they are. Um, very curious, BCK, what do, you, what do you got rattling around here? Bring it to the table. It's important that I preface it with the, that I mean no disrespect at all to any <laughs> great way to start off right to any of the of the other players uh on on the bull squads that won any championship but you know it's 84 and the draft starts if if for if houston or portland takes mj does this happen does no. history happen in those cities i don't think so especially portland right because let's be honest um 
Chicago's an amazing city. And you know what? We have no we have no fucking problem being number three, quote unquote, on the list of greatest cities in America because we all know we're, that we're the best. And guess what? People that live out here in L.A. talk tons of shit about living in L.A., talk tons of shit about living in New York. And I guarantee you people that live in New York talk shit about people that live in L.A. and oh, people yeah. that and people that also live in New York at the same time. But then you get these conversations of, oh, yeah, Chicago. Love Chicago. Love visiting Chicago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's, there isn't a person that was like, oh, yeah, Chicago. Kind of boring town. Not a lot of food options. <laughs> I had a hard time finding a bar nearby. Um, you know what I mean? Like, you just, you're never going to hear that. And, I mean, I guess the Houston situation would have been very, very, very interesting because you would have had Jordan and Ralph Sampson. And what was the Portland vibe, right? Portland didn't want to take them because they had Clyde Drexler. Hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that's a, great, that's a great question to ponder that I do think that the city of Chicago certainly helped him get to where he was. Because am I, am I incorrect that obviously Houston and Portland were drafting in the lottery that year, but neither of that team had had any resemblance of success prior to – them drafting in that year's draft in 84 just the same as the bulls i mean yeah, as i say the bulls, bulls were, out of nowhere the bulls were yeah. a, a nobody the same way that perhaps you could probably consider i guess the blazers in the late 70s um had a run with bill walton right uh but yeah no i think that's a great that's a great question to ponder and i gotta be honest i don't think it would be the same if you went to those two places go ahead Troy. Well, I kind of think, I mean, I, I, I don't know about six championships, but I think there are some talents that are so just forces of nature. You know, you talk about guys who could succeed anywhere. I think Jordan's that type, right? Whereas when we talk about someone like Kevin Love, like he was only great because he was on a crappy Minnesota team, right? Um, but I think he would have willed those teams because, I mean, you know, and again, we talk about LeBron. God, I don't even want to mention his name, but we've kind of seen that. Like LeBron willed himself literally because he changed teams so many times to like become a championship caliber team and winning, you know, a couple championships, uh, three or so. So, I mean, I think Jordan is, is such a force of nature that it, it would have happened wherever he would have landed. Higgs, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think Choi's, Choi's right. I mean, yeah, Jordan's a stud, although it's just, it's just crazy. So much of it is luck. You know, I mean, I don't know if you guys know, but like that that draft with Houston and Portland, I think they tied for the worst record of the previous year, and they had to do a coin flip, and that's how Houston ended up with the number one pick. Um, you know, because if Portland had the number one pick, they would have drafted Akeem. Then Houston oh, no would have number th- number two pick, and then Jordan would have went to Houston because they needed him. So it's just. It's crazy to think that we got Jordan because of a coin flip. And isn't it, isn't it funny, too, that, like, I mean, it's a testament to Elijah Wan, who is one of my all-time favorite players. But it's a testament to Elijah Wan that everyone gives Portland shit for taking Sam Bowie. But you are still talking about the greatest player of all time who went on to six championships, that they're not giving Houston a hard time right. for picking Akeem Olajuwon when they already had Ralph Sampson. Uh, you know, you could have done the high-low pick there instead of the Twin Towers just as easily and uh, and and at the same time you know Akeem got him two titles you know what I mean it's just like yeah we could have had the greatest uh but we had the great and it doesn't seem like they catch as much flack as probably Portland does I don't know if that's right or wrong but it just seems to be the perception you know I I was just I mean the reason I asked the question of course is because I I was thinking about it and 
I like you, like Choi said earlier, like how could I possibly uh, love the Bulls and love MJ more uh, than than you know than I already did after watching this? But after watching this, I'm just I'm I mean he just is a fucking alien, and I I I can't like you said, Troy, maybe not six, maybe not two three peats, but like I think wherever that dude went, whether any 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 team, he would have he would have changed the fucking game. Like he did. Yeah, I don't think that there was like some sort of routine or workout regimen that Chicago was doing that would have, you know what I mean, changed it. I think like, yeah, his work ethic came from inside of him at all times. And it was his drive and his passion, his competitiveness, his talent was all internal. And I agree with you. I, I think it doesn't matter what situation that he was in, he probably would have done amazing things. I guess like the pivot point for me would be, or like the inflection point would have been, does he find someone like Phil Jackson right. to try and get him to not change his game, but evolve his game in certain areas that would allow him to really unlock his, his ultimate talent that honestly never seemed to have a ceiling. And yet somehow it sort of did in 91, 92, 93. And then 96, 97, 98, he goes on to say that he felt just as good about his game then as he did, you know, back in the early nineties because yeah. of the craftsmanship and all the stuff that he put into it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I guess like, yeah, it would have been how many titles would he have been able to do hop in Choi? Well, quick, the last quick question for me to you guys. Um, I think the, the greatest missing component to this series would have been if Jerry Krause was still alive to hear his take. Because um, right, like the the major conflict of this entire series is ultimately the team is going to get broken up. I mean, that is the conflict that that holds this entire ten episodes together. So to have his take would have been really interesting. So I'm I'm curious with you guys, like how how much different or not do you guys think the series would have been if they would have been able to get those interviews in with Kraus had he been alive? I'll take you a step further. The one thing that I guess I would have been interested about, and of course, it's a very, very difficult thing to do because this thing's been cobbled together over the last 16 years. But, you know, what if you had gotten Jerry Krause and MJ in the same room? <laughs> or like, what if you had gotten Phil, Scotty, MJ and Jerry in the same room? Something that has been happening. We've seen with athletes more and more over the, the past years that coming together to talk the talking shop moment, you know, um, I think that would have been really exciting to see and i mean let's i don't want to i don't i don't want to speak for someone especially someone who is passed on but you you'd have to think that he'd have some sort of regrets or some sort of moments where he maybe he believed in what he was doing but he wished that you know he didn't say the 82 game line you know what i mean there had to have been something that he had wished he had done differently go ahead bck i remember before uh starting this series that you know how it all came to be and you know the the main uh thing being that you know uh, mj was promised you know to have a lot of control over it and i wonder uh had he had had, had uh, uh Krause still been been alive uh you know dur- during this time would would mj even have let him be a part of it Ooh, would, would he even want point. that side at all to be portrayed Ooh, give him the isaiah thomas treatment right right I'll, i will do this as long as jk jerry Krause is not involved i think and... it's uh, something to con- seriously consider interesting no that is that is definitely very 
very intriguing and interesting. And it also kind of makes you question. I mean, they, they, they interviewed the one guy who was um, an assistant scout and stuff like that through all the years, but yeah, they didn't seem to really go out of their way to try and get Jerry Krause's side outside of just the people that he related with business wise, as in Jerry Reinsdorf, Michael Jordan, maybe that assistant scout, Phil Jackson and so forth. Um, yeah, they never really seemed very interested in even taking a step into what his Jerry Krause's thought process might have been. Granted, maybe he just didn't have that person in his life that would have been able to get, give that information. But I'm with you, BCK. Like, it definitely seems like it's like we're going to tell this, but in terms of how far we go or how far we're going to go to maybe give this side of the story, there's there's a point there's a point where we're going to stop, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Guys, this was great. I'm very Do it again excited. every year. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited for you to uh, edit out all the LeBron love before you post this online. <laughs> I have it. Uh, I have it into my my system already. Uh, key, it's under keywords, <laughs> and so it just ticks up. And no, I mean, I yeah. Look, I'm just kidding. He's a yeah. He's one. I, I and you know what? Like, uh, and very. We don't have to get into it because it's the end of the pod. But you know, I lo- I hated LeBron for many many years, especially when he played our Bulls teams. And he, it was literally like the shoe was on the other foot, right? Where for yep. years we were the guy with the hammer and the other team was the nail. And we felt like the nail for so many years against him and whether we could get past him or not. And of course we didn't, but as the years have gone on and, and those D-Rose Bulls disintegrated, I have come to appreciate him because of how much I loved Jordan. And I don't want to spend my life not appreciating great players because they can pass you by. And you know what I mean? Like, what are we... What are we doing on this life if we're sports fans, if we're not, like, you know, just trying to appreciate these the, the greatness of some of these dudes? It's why, like, I give Tom Brady respect, you know what I mean? Like, Kobe, LeBron, all these guys, like, I respect all those dudes. Like, Sidney Crosby in hockey. I mean, honestly, like, you know, I'm a Blackhawks fan, but at the same time, I, I want to give respect to the greats because I got a chance to watch the greatest. And when I did get a chance to experience that, it was one of the best. Go ahead, Higgs. Sorry, just real quick. You just forgot uh, Cristiano Felicio. Go ahead. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's the button, baby. That's the Beautiful. bow. That's the bow on the present right now because that's who we're moving forward with right now. He says, get on my back. Follow me and my 42 million and my 4.2 points per game. And let's make it work. Dude, he makes Dickie Simpkins look like Carl Malone. Dickie! <laughs> Dickie Simpkins, shout out. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. This is the last dance pod of episode 10. We're at the end of the road. You know, will we ever come back? I think we may come back. There's still always plenty more to talk about right now, especially with the Bulls and Jordan. But I want to thank my guests today, Aaron Hagel, Mike Choi. BCK, Brian Colbert Kennedy for joining. Uh, you guys are the best. I love texting with you guys about bull stuff. We've been doing it for years and years, and now we get a chance to talk about Jordan like this. It's been uh, it's been a real pleasure, and I'm really gr- grateful that you guys came on. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, Joey. Thanks so much, dude. Seriously. Really yeah, absolutely, guys, and we'll have you back soon. This was Believe in Betting Chicago, episode 10 of The Last Dance. My name is Joey Christopoulos. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. We're going to be back later this week. We're doing some more fantasy pods, more fantasy drafts, all that good stuff. So stick around, come back, and thank you for listening. Be safe, be healthy. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.